You're listening to the Sunday podcast from Life Point Church in Santan Valley, Arizona. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. For more information, visit us online at lifepointaz.com. Good morning. Thank you, Ty. Former UVBA volleyball champion, Ty Schroffnagel, right there. Just, yeah, real, real big deal here at the church. He lets you know it, too. Um, we, we are in the last uh, phrase of the Lord's Prayer. The last phrase of the Lord's Prayer. So Matthew 6, 9 through 13 is uh, the first place we see where God is, says, when you pray, pray like this. And uh, he then proceeds to give us these words. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Most sacred, most ultimate, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day. Remember the audacity of asking that way? It's almost, it's actually not asking, it's telling. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass or sin against us. And then today we're going to look at these final words and lead us not into temptation, but what? Deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil. And this is the Lord's word for us this morning. James 1.13 says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So what is Jesus talking about here? When he says to ask that God would not lead you into temptation, if we already know that God is not one who uses, is not going to tempt anyone, What's going on? This morning I want to walk through these words with you and see that the way the Lord ends this prayer, the way he um, ends this instruction on how we're to address him uh, or address the Father uh, is very purposeful and one of the most loving things he could do. Let's bow our heads. Lord, give us insight and wisdom, please, into what it is you are saying here. Help us to see and recognize what it means to be sons and daughters and what the tests of life bring, God, are all part of what you have. In Jesus' name, amen. So life is all about little tests, right? And they're preparing us for the bigger tests, the fiery trials of life, as Peter calls it. And I've got a fun story to tell you. When I was about 10 or 11, I had my first uh, sort of big test for a 10 or 11 year old, but as I look back on it now in my uh, late 20s, (laughs) mid 30s, as I look back on it now, I realize it was actually a small test. But so what happened is my brother, my buddy and I went with my mom to my mom's friend's house and this friend had a kid our age, but he wasn't there that day. And so the mom said, why don't you just go ahead in his room and play? And he had uh, RC cars and racetracks and all those fun things. And he also had a piggy bank. And in that piggy bank was about $43. And uh, we proceeded to take that money. I know, can't believe it. You, uh, we did. And so we, we counted it out first. We then dreamt of all the things we could buy with it, which was mainly just basketball cards. And uh, we took it. Well, it wasn't hard to figure out who took the money because the kid came home later that afternoon. We were gone and the money wasn't there. And uh, we were asked, did you take it? We promptly did not tell the truth and said no. And later it was found out that we had. Now, let me just preface this. I I got spanked when I was growing up. Amen? Are there any in here? I did. I got spanked. And honestly, I I wish that the world could understand 
the way my father, who's actually here today, which I love, uh, spanked us, my brother and I, was the most loving and most biblical way to do it in the fact that we were never spanked out of anger. We were always knew that we were loved and afterwards were always held and spent time with and talked to us. And it was clear that the punishment was purely for the crime. Now, being a father myself, I'm sure there are times he was angry, but he never showed it to us. And so when it was found out that we had lied and stolen money, in this tiny test, this, this trial of mine, I received a pretty good spanking for that one. Now, later that night, before I went to bed, I uh, got out of the shower and realized I had a small bruise on my rear end. Now, this is fantastic because I thought I had caught my father, right? I got him. Like, when he sees this, he is going to feel so bad for what he did to me. And I pictured it in my head. I pictured how it would go. Like, because he came in at night and he would say goodnight to my brother and I. And I was going to tell him there. I was going to tell him. And he was going to get on his knees. He was going to beg me for forgiveness. He was going to tell me he'd never spank me again. He was just going to completely repent for the spanking. And so I had it worked up. And he came and said goodnight to my brother. Said goodnight to me. And I said, Dad, I need to tell you something. And he goes, yes. And I said, you should know that there's a bruise on my rear end where you spanked me. I just thought you'd like to know that. And he goes, is there? <laughs> you remember this? And he leans in at me and he goes, let me tell you something. If you ever lie to me and steal again, that will be the least of your worries. <laughs> I was like, what? He doubled down. He actually doubled down on his efforts. He called my bluff and... I'll be honest, it stuck with me, and I, I, I stole one other time when I was 16. I was, no, but listen, I stole when I was 16. Uh, we stole basketball cards from those little carts in the mall. You remember those things? I was with my buddy. I could drive now. Didn't have my parents around, and, and we, we pocketed the cards. You pick up, and you make it look like you grabbed one deck. You pay for one deck, and you have three or four. My buddy showed me how to do it. Same buddy I stole the other money with. Probably should have chosen better friends. Um, <laughs> He's actually a great guy. I love him. Uh, anyway, we go around the corner, and we're opening up our, our cards and, and trying to see what we got, and I remembered that spanking. I remembered that night, and all of a sudden, as a 16-year-old kid, all I could picture is, what if Dad finds out I stole these cards? And so I told my buddy I was going to run and use the restroom, went back to the kiosk and paid for the other three packs that we had stolen, and then went back to him and pretended I was cool and tough like all the other kids. You know, that same lesson has continued to stick with me through these small little tests throughout life until somewhere in my mid-20s, as I'm running this company for a private equity firm, it's 2008, 2009, the economy is totally tanking and I'm running this remodel uh, maintenance business for them and they come to me and they said, these are the projections we need to see do you think we'll hit those numbers within the next six to 12 months? Now here's the thing, everyone's losing their jobs. I knew we were doing poorly. I was basically making a nearly six-figure income, had a very comfortable life, could have used the next six to 12 months to transition myself into a more comfortable job, tell them we can hit those numbers, but I knew we couldn't. And I knew that if I told them we could and I didn't and I acted surprised at the end that it would be no different than the day I stole money from that kid's piggy bank. And so right there, I said, nope, you won't hit those numbers. And uh, 
and it would be a bad investment to continue to support this business in your portfolio. And they said, great, you have one month to shut it down. And I essentially fired myself in that summer uh, with, with no real backup plan. Uh, my next job was with the church in ministry, and God began what he's done over the last 10 years as he's worked into my heart to become a preacher and lead me into this position. Why do I tell you those stories? I tell you those stories because it's very important to understanding what Christ is saying here at the, end of, at the end of the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You see, when we say those words, a temptation, the Greek word is purissimo, and it can mean a trap or a test, right? A trap is no good. A trap, there's no way out of. A mouse trap, if it springs on the mouse, there's no way out. It's stuck and it will die. A test is good, even though it can be painful, even though it can bring a, a, a mark of an F or you can fail the test, the purpose of the test is to let you know where you're at on your walk, right? I took this class, this ethics class my first year in college, and I, I'll be honest, I sort of sloughed off through high school and made it by uh, with A's and B's because I was good at multiple choice and I'm a great guesser. And I get to this ethics class and this guy doesn't even have a book for his class, he teaches out of his mind, like it's insane how smart he is. There's no book, there's no material, you have to show up and write notes from the lecture, that's it. And we didn't live in a time where you could just go online, yeah, I know about that website, you could just get tests off of it, that didn't exist. So if you didn't show up, you didn't know what was gonna be on the test. And the test was just four of them for the year, this was your whole grade, and they were 10 questions. And every question was just an essay question, and every test was different than the person you sat next to. So if you didn't show up to this class and you didn't pay attention to the lectures, you were going to fail the test. But here's the beauty of the test. If you did show up, you did listen, then those tests were incredibly easy because it was just exactly the stuff he talked about. You wrote it down and it was just transferring it right over to the test. That's the thing that what the Lord is talking about here. Lead us not into temptation. The Lord is going to test you. Life will bring many trials and tests. And what Jesus is saying, we pray to the Father, is do not let them become traps unto me. Do not let them be the things that will destroy me, that will devour me, that will overtake me and deliver us from evil. So I'm going to walk you through this here this morning, and I want you to see, see something, that if we seek God regularly, and we say, deliver me from evil in the tests of life, deliver me that they may not devour me, this is what God is asking us for at the end. This is what he's saying, come to me in this. And I want you to see how, as Americans, we have sort of uh, turned this on its head a little bit. The first way that you can be sure to handle the tests that life are going to bring at you is real simple, you ready? It's just expect them. Expect them to come. Know that the tests of life are going to come. So much of the discouragement that you and I face in life isn't because of the trial we're going to, it's because of the surprise that it's actually happening. Have you ever said that? I can't believe this is happening to me. Why must bad things happen to semi-decent people? I don't consider myself good, but at least semi-decent. And why do bad things have to happen to me? Right? Or you look at your neighbor or family member or whatever you want to call it, and you see their life, and it appears to just be going swimmingly. And you're over here with all of these trials and tests, and you're just like, why? 
I am such a decent person. So much discouragement in the Christian life is because we just don't expect the test to come. We, we're, we're shocked by it. We're surprised by it. It's, what? That's the sound of you being shocked by trials. <laughs> we look at them and we look at the irritations of life and we dismiss them as just that, irritations. Let me give you some examples. Why in the world do I have to have a boss like this? Why is my spouse going through this season during this time of their life? Why does it seem like a string of bad luck always seems to hit us? I can remember early in our marriage, man, it was one thing after another. From a lost job, to a false accusation, to a serious health concern, to a house that was just a money pit of problems, to just one after another. At every new year, in the first four or five years of our marriage, I kept saying, this is the year, no more tests or trials will come. And then that year, it was worse than the year before. Finally, I just stopped doing that. And I just was like, today, this year is going to be the worst year ever. And then when it's not, I won. But there were just so many of these little tests that the Lord was preparing my wife and I for that I wish someone would have told me this sooner. Stop seeing them as irritation. Stop seeing them as obstacles to obtaining what is good and recognize that they are there to test you and grow you and mature you. They are the Father's way of loving you. He's loving you through that. That ethics teacher loved his students, which is why he wouldn't facilitate a class where they could just slough off through most of it and then cram for a big exam at the M and pass with a C. He loved his students enough to get the material that he set it up in such a way that he'd get to see them again next year if they didn't do it right. But our society and even our Christian culture wants to look at God in our trials and say, how dare you allow this to happen to me? How dare you call yourself a good God and allow these things to happen? I want you to intervene when it's convenient for me and I'd like you to back off when it's not. David Stockton, who's currently the senior pastor of Living Streams Church, he's come out here and preached his youngest daughter was born uh, with spina bifida. And it's been a struggle for their family, but nothing that they haven't overcome. Actually watching them overcome it and how much they love her and the things she does has been so much fun to see. But I can remember a few years back when I was an associate pastor at Living Streams and he was as well, and we were sitting in a staff meeting and he shared with us his heart and he said, I was praying to the Lord, asking God to remove this condition from my daughter, to heal my daughter. And I just totally related to that, right? There's nothing a parent wants more than to see their son or their daughter healed, especially of a physical ailment like that. And he said as he prayed it, as he, as he sat on his, as he was on his knees, weeping before the Lord saying, would you take this from her? The Lord said, are you wanting me to take it from her for her sake or for your sake? What? What a hard truth to get as you're pleading on behalf of your child. Because let's be honest, the, next few, the, the last few years for them, seven, eight, nine years, have not been easy. It's been very difficult. 
And then what the Lord said next was even more amazing as he's sharing this story with us. He said, David, she is going to know aspects of my character that you will never be able to know. She is going to have a depth and a maturity and a knowledge of me that you will not have because of this. I am going to work through this condition in her life. If I were to remove it from her, I would be doing her a disservice. I'm telling you, I have struggled with that conversation David had with God. I personally have struggled with that. As I fear for, you know, my own kids' health, my health, the health of the church, that whatever it is, you say, God, we pray so often as American Christians that he would keep trials and pain and tests from us. What if we were to stop seeing them as irritations? And like First Peter 4 says, not be surprised when they come. Not be surprised when the big, when the big ones come. What if we were to expect the trials? What if we were to understand that in the hands of God, death leads to resurrection? A seed has to die to become a flower or an oak tree. Coal has to be crushed under pressure to become a diamond. Ore has to be refined through extreme heat to become gold. How are you and I any different? How much more valuable are you and I than those things? Do we trust when God says? Do we trust him when the only truly good man, Jesus Christ, who was rejected and abused, who was alienated, was tortured and killed, do we trust when he said all of this is working out together for your good? Trust the test and understand that I will not lay before you any traps. God is not trying to trap you. God is not trying to get you to screw up so he can point out your errors. He will set before you tests so you can see along the road how you're doing and what you need to work on. And that's because of the first lines of the prayer, he's a good father. The second point is this, in tests, and this one's so important for us, if I were speaking in another country, um, they would just understand this, but for us here in America, listen to the second point. In the test, the real enemy is evil, not pain. You hear me? In the test that you go through, the real enemy is evil, not pain. Look at the petition that Christ lays before us. The, the second thing you have to keep in mind is that when the test of life comes, the discomfort, the circumstance, the fear and anxiety and all of the things that surround us when the pain comes is not the real thing to focus on or be afraid of, but it's evil. Do not let the evil one come near me. Do not let the enemy come near me. The pain, 10 tons of pain you can handle. But an ounce of evil in your life will rip you apart. It will rip your relationships apart, the people you love apart. It'll rip your health apart, your addictions. And Jesus is saying when you pray, don't focus on the pain, focus on on the evil and say, God, would you keep this from me? In the midst of the test, in the midst of the trials, would you keep this from me? And here's the thing. The pressure that we're under 
If it, like a, like a piece of coal under pressure turning to a diamond, if that's true for you and I, then how we respond determines whether we become diamonds or dust, right? If I respond to the pressure, if I respond to the pain or the uncomfortable circumstance with honesty, faithfulness, uh, selflessness, kindness, joy, then that test, that trial, that pressure produces in me a worthiness like a diamond, a sweetness, something people want to be around, something others can learn from, something uh, that will tie you together closer with your spouse that will help you uh, engage with your children. Do you hear me here? But if that pressure produces in you bitterness, anger, hatred, selfishness, then it will break you. And here, listen, listen. Jesus is saying when the pressure comes, pray, Lord, let not this temptation devour me. Don't let it break me. Uphold me, sustain me, that I might be able to do what is right, that I might be selfless, that I might be kind, that I might put others' needs ahead of my own. Lord, I cannot do it without you. So he closes this prayer with, Lord, in the midst of my temptations, would you uphold me and would you keep the evil one from me? It's such a humbling, humbling way to end this prayer. Remember the audacity of the give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our trespasses. Those are, those are commands unto the Lord that, and I talked about how that's okay because we address him as father and how you as a child can go up to your parents and you demand things and God says, I want you to have that kind of relationship. But it closes with this understanding that says, Lord, unless you uphold me in this, keep me from the temptation, keep me from the evil one, then I will fail. I will, under the pressure, produce bitterness and greed and ugliness. But if you are with me, Lord, if you uphold me, then I will pass the test. I will be able to come out the other end of it better than when I went in. Deliver me from evil, Lord. Just help me to obey in the midst of suffering. Right? I think as Christians, we understand that that is the message of the gospel, but I just want to say this for folks in here who say, I'm, I'm not a Christian. In fact, I've been thinking about whether Christianity is for me. I've been comparing it to the other religions. I've been trying out different churches. And the problem with that statement alone is this, that uh, the spirit of our age is one that says, try everything, see what feels good, do what feels best at the end of the day. But here's the thing that's interesting, the petition to keep us from temptation and deliver us from evil comes after the petition to forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. It doesn't come before, it comes afterwards. Which means, if I understand it, what Christ is saying is Christianity is not true because it works. Christianity works because it's true. So if you are going to try and dip your toe into the different religions and then try Christianity out the same way, you are going to come up wanting. Because you will test it to see if it works. And if, if it works, it makes, must be true. And, and God's saying, no, it's just truth. It is truth. And that's why it works. And here's, here's the kicker, right? 
And this, this one's tough. Jesus is saying you must learn to hate sin for what it is in itself, not just hate the consequences of your sin. And I thought about this. When I thought about that, as I go back to the story with stealing that money, if I, if I would have stayed in that mode, if I would have stayed in the mindset that my father was evil because I got spanked for my actions, if I would have hated the spanking and the physical momentary pain it brought and just hated that, but not understood the evil of what it was to take something and to lie about it, I would have never have actually learned a lesson. I would have lived a life of either fear or hatred or both, right? I would have feared a consequence because of the pain it could bring, or I would have hated the one who was, who was administering the consequence, but I would have never have come to understand and hate the thing that was actually evil. Do you hear me? I would have never have come to recognize cheating and lying and stealing as the thing that was actually destroying me, I would have blamed all these other external sources. Which is why I'm grateful that day my father doubled down on me. <laughs> it made me realize, what am I mad at? What am I actually really frustrated with? This is what Jesus is saying here. Until you learn to hate sin because it goes against everything that I have created that is good, you will misunderstand temptations and trials in your life. You will see them as irritations. You will see them as inconveniences to your happiness. You have to come to see sin as the, the very thing that keeps you from the heart of God, the very thing that is trying to tear you away from a father that loves you. Your real problem is not the suffering, it's the sin, it's the evil in this world, and you have to see that. You have to see that, or you'll never grow through the tests. Last point is this, you must process your tests through the love of the Father, and I won't belabor this because this whole series has been on this, but the first line of the Lord's Prayer is our Father. It is Jesus directing us how to look at God Almighty, not as a benevolent creator that can smite you anytime he wants but as a loving father and everything said after that is looked at in the light of him as a father and if I understand him as a father and I understand the concept of adoption then it means I can actually walk in this thing that Jesus is trying to get us to understand with this prayer See, the thing with adoption is this. Adoption is, means that the father, it's a legal term, is going to give rights to the adopted child that the biological children have. In fact, in their culture and time, they had more rights than the biological children had. And the father is not doing it because that child is going to resemble them in appearance or that child is coming into the home with the same values and characteristics of the father. No, the father is going to teach that child the values and characteristics of the household. Catch that? So if I get the concept, this is why I belabored this for two weeks of him being father. If you can see that, then you can understand what tests and trials that a good father is allowing to come into your life. And sometimes in life, it's just a change of perspective that we need, isn't it? Sometimes in life, it isn't a, that we need our circumstances to be completely different for us to be happy. Sometimes we just need a change of perspective. 
We need to realize the things that we have and be grateful. We need to realize the gifts that God has given us and be grateful. Had someone praying over me in between service, and as they were praying over me, they were praying over all these things that I was realizing, my health and my job and my kids and my wife and my house, and I just began to think, oh my gosh, I have so much. I have so much. You ever, you ever get overwhelmed with that thought? Take time off of all the stuff you don't have when your mind's going in that whirlwind Ty was talking about and just say, I have so much. And just take time to thank the Father. Adoption is pure grace. Adoption is pure grace. When I think of our girls that we adopted, and I think of where their lives would be and who they would be without our family and It's difficult. It's difficult raising two children that aren't yours biologically. But there's such, there's such a pleasure and an understanding that I wouldn't know without it into what it means to be adopted into the Lord's family. I love them differently than I love my own. Anyone who tells you differently is lying. But I do love them. With everything in me, I love them. And I'm learning each week how to love them. And I imagine my God, who loves perfectly and knows me perfectly, how his heart is being poured out here. As Jesus is saying this, he is not giving us a prayer that we recite to make things better. He is pouring out the Father's heart and saying, the Father loves you so much. He cares for you so much. He will keep the evil one from you. He will keep the temptations from turning into traps. There's always a way out. There's always a way out. You've got to trust him. I saw this and I, I really liked it and we'll close with this. If you want to learn how to golf, watch Tiger Woods, right? And go get some practice. If you want to learn how to build and run a successful company, read Jim Collins. He's got some incredible books, incredible wisdom. If you want to learn how to be the best basketball player, watch Michael Jordan. Kobe did. If you, there's a great video out there, man, of Kobe Bryant, and it shows him on the court in the exact positions Jordan was, and his movements are an exact imitation of Jordan's. And you could tell he watched the guy who, during his time as a kid, was the greatest to play the game. If you want to be a great artist, you would study the works of the great artists throughout history. And if you want to learn to have joy in all situations of life, look to the one who did it right, Jesus Christ. Study him. Read about him. Talk to him. And trust him. Don't just ask for it. Don't just... Say, God, give me joy. Help me overcome this struggle. I heard the pastor's message today. Okay, give it to me. I'm asking for it. Make it a priority. Make it your focus. Make it your goal. Strive after it. Fight for it. Defend it. I said in my email this week, I sent out an email preparing, preparing us for this message and everything. And in it, I said, and I'll invite the band out here because we're closing. Ten years ago, I was up at the Thrive Retreat, 2008. And uh, 
Saturday night, I was on my face out in that grass field, literally on my face. The session had ended and I was pressing into the Lord because I needed him to answer something for me. Earlier that year, we had miscarried and uh, just a few weeks before I went up to the retreat, my wife told us we were pregnant again. And so as I laid out there, I said, God, I have to know if this child is gonna make it full term or not. If it's not, that's fine. I will trust you in it, but I need to know. And so I just wrestled with the Lord and I stayed out there for almost two hours in the dark, just in that field and, and pursuing and pressing into the Lord. And it was there that night that the Lord said, your son will be fine and, and gave me the name Judah in that night on that field, would name him Judah. And Christy was only four or five weeks in, so she was like, well, we don't know what son. I'm like, I know what it's going to be. So when we went to that meeting, the doctor's like, it's a boy. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I've known for two months, doc. Sorry, you're just now finding out, but I've known for a while. Um, five years later, Thrive 2013, I went up there with a huge decision on my mind. I was asked um, one month prior to Thrive 2013 if I would come out to the Santan Valley and lead this church life point. And so I went up to the retreat that weekend with that thought, that question on my mind, what do I do, Lord? And as I was driving back down the mountain, God had made it clear and set forward a plan of what was to happen next. And I had peace with it. And the Lord said, the next six months are going to be incredibly difficult. But would you do it? And I said, yes. And we know how that turned out. It's five years later now. And so here I was again, Thrive 2018, with nothing to teach. The church has grown. The church has matured. The church has developed and turned around and become a great light in the community. And I said, Lord, what's next? Lord, lead me. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. What is next? And the Lord gave me this vision Saturday night that I shared with Pastor Blake and uh, one of the elders from Life uh, Living Streams, who's a friend, Chad. And the vision was of me in a giant combine. You know those tractors that are guided by GPS? I didn't know that was a thing, but that's a thing. I remember when we first moved out here, I was driving back like at 10.30 at night, and there was a tractor in the field doing its thing. And I thought, how is he seeing where he's supposed to go? And then they're, they're guided by GPS. Anyway. And so I'm in this giant combine, this tractor, and I'm surrounded by a field that is ready to harvest, completely ready to harvest. And, and I said, I think the Lord, I asked the Lord, what am I supposed to do? And the Lord said, just turn on the tractor. And I thought, what do you mean? What's that mean? And then that's what Chad asked me. He said, what do you mean turn on the tractor? What does that mean? And this is the word the Lord gave me that for the last two or three, for the first two or three years I was out here, it was just belling the water out of the ship. Pray to God the church makes it. Pray to God it doesn't go under. Please, Lord. And then it didn't, and it actually succeeded, and it thrived. And the last two years have been who we are as a church and what kind of church we are. And what happened was somewhere in the last two years between uh, being burnt out from the first few years to the four to five months of depression I had at the beginning of this year, sometime in there, I just sort of turned the keys off and you begin to say, Lord, would you take care of this? Lord, go. Lord, do this. And you begin to just ask, ask, ask. And God's like, I'm going to do it, but I need you to turn on the tractor. 
I am the GPS. I am the guidance. I'm going to bring the harvest in. That is his job. But I need you to be out in the field. I need you to be present. And that's why this coming up here, we've got this Life Cares thing coming up, which is going to be an incredible ministry solely to our neighbors and reaching out of the church into the community. We've got Thursday night men's group, which is going to be right here in the sanctuary. Pastor Blake, myself, and Josh are going to be here every Thursday night to facilitate that, break up into small groups. And it's just one of those things where God showed me and came through in a huge way to say, this is the next step. This is the next chapter. We're going to bring in a huge harvest. We're starting our third service, 8 a.m. again here in a couple of weeks. Because as you can see and look around, it's already full. And I believe we're going to fill that service out. Because God has prepared the harvest. God has given us the talent and the maturity in this place, sitting in this room right now, to be able to meet the needs of those who are out there. And here's what's going to be amazing. When someone who doesn't know Jesus comes in, sits down next to you, and you introduce yourself to them, and you get to know them, and they hear your story, and they hear the struggle and the trial you're going through, and they see joy in your face, and they say, how do you have joy in the midst of those trials? And you say, well, let me tell you. I can't wait to tell you. That's gonna be what changes our valley. So let's pray. I'm telling you, that's what's gonna do it. Let's pray and ask God for his guidance. I'll invite the ushers forward as we uh, prepare to take communion. Father God, Lord, we give this time to you. We give this communion to you, Lord. This is for your glory, for your praise. Lord, you gave us the prayer as a structure of how to reach out, as a structure of how to understand our relationship between one another. And so, God, I come before the throne boldly, and I ask for that harvest. I ask for those in our neighborhoods, for those down Hunt Highway in Ellsworth, for those down Felix. I ask, Lord, for those those streets and those people represented, Father God, that we could come and we could impact them. And as Ty said, we wouldn't be so concerned about what to say, but what to do, Lord God, that as you lay on the hearts of the people in this room what they are to do, we will just step out in faith, Lord. We will see the test for what it is and we will move forward, Father God. We will not be found wanting. We will push forward, Lord, because we have pushed into you. We have recognized our our adoption as sons and daughters and we have pushed into you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. If you're in here this morning and you came in with suffering, you came in with trial, you came in with tests that are burdening you, that are overbearing, I invite you. We've got prayer partners on the front of both sides. Come to the front. Come kneel at the altar. Spend time with the Lord. If you're here and you've never given your life to Christ and you want to do that this morning, this is a good place to do it. We had about a half a dozen guys give their life to Christ up at the men's retreat. We've had two people here this morning during first service give their life to Christ. If you want to do that, come up and talk to one of these people. We want to walk you through that. We want to tell you what that means. If you've given your life to Christ and you want to partake of communion, then we invite you to do that now. We've got three stations up front and three in the back. The middle one in the back has a gluten-free option if that's what you need. And this is what communion is. Communion was given to us as a sacrament by Jesus Christ. On the night that he was betrayed, he broke bread with his disciples. And he told them, this is my body, broken for you. He then took the cup and he said, this is my blood, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Taste and see that the Lord is good. We do this and we remember what that gift is. We remember that we can only walk this life 
We can only be crushed under the pressure of life's trials and come out as diamonds because he upholds us. You hear me in that? You hear me in that? Because of what Christ did, my pressures and my trials are not meaningless. Because of what he went through, I have a living hope. Jesus, we come before you now. We ask you would bless this bread and this juice. And those who partake of it, God, would we search our hearts as you speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead, you can get up now, go to one of those stations, and then we'll close with worship together.